Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, this is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today I'm joined by Murad Idris, um, and he is the author of War for Peace, Genealogies of a Violent Ideal in Western and Islamic Thought. This book was published by Oxford University Press in 2019, and it is a fascinating exploration through political thought and thinking about the concept of peace and oftentimes how it is binarily connected to other concepts. But I'm going to let Murad tell us a little bit about that, as well as a little bit about himself and how he came to this project. Hello, Murad, and welcome to the New Books in Political Science podcast. Hi, uh, thanks uh, so much for having me uh, on here, uh, Lily. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, uh, so uh, my name is uh, Murad Idris, and uh, I'm uh, an assistant professor of political theory at uh, the University of Virginia. And uh, uh, War for Peace uh, started out as uh, my dissertation, uh, which I started writing in 2009. Uh, it's uh, pretty heavily revised since then, uh, but uh, the uh, uh, the core impulse, you could say, uh, is uh, uh, the same. And uh, I think that, that that's probably one thing that uh, says uh, quite a bit uh, about me. Uh, when I started writing uh, the, uh, the book, when I started writing the manuscript, uh, the U.S. was in the midst of uh, a war on terror. Uh, I'd actually only arrived to the U.S. a couple of years uh, before that. And uh, this language of war for the sake of peace was one that uh, we saw both in official state discourses, in uh, popular media, uh, and also in uh, some, uh, uh, let's say, scholarly and public intellectual uh, spaces. Uh, There were a lot of really important critiques of war and uh, specifically of uh, this war, Uh, of the uh, very framing that it had, but the way that the idea of peace was uh, being deployed, that was left intact. Um, There were a number of critiques that actually seemed to hold up peace as the kind of uh, critical aspiration. Uh, And to me, that seemed to be missing something pretty dramatic. Uh, So peace was either being alighted or it was being held up. And so we didn't really look at its implication in war. And I think something analogous uh, happens in different contexts across the globe. Uh, uh, although the book doesn't uh, talk about this much, uh, the question of Israel and Palestine is a kind of uh, clear one. Um, uh, part of all of this had to do with uh, how across these contexts, uh, it's it's quite frustrating to uh, uh, see how the language of peace and specifically the idea that uh, we all have to desire peace, uh, that uh, there's a kind of impossible demand that uh, uh, is imposed only on, let's say, uh, certain uh, groups. Uh, so it's an asymmetrical demand. Uh, 
uh, to avow uh, uh, your commitment to peace. The, at the end of the day, you are uh, pro-peace, not uh, against peace, even though it's that very opposition in a way that I think does a lot of the troubling work and uh, allows uh, our ideals like peace to bleed into war and to uh, facilitate and also sanitize different kinds of uh, violence. Uh, so you could say that the impulse behind the book was to invite readers to look at peace as a problem. And and that's, I mean, this, you, you do an amazing sort of exploration that was, as I was saying before we started recording, it, not exactly where I thought the book was necessarily going to be going. Um, but the, the exploration of the concept and the terminology of peace. And, and again, it's, you know, as, as you say, it's this term that we are always using, that we're always supposedly striving towards um, in politics and in in our lives and in religion and so forth. But how does it, it, one of the points that you make is it's almost never existing by itself. It is a term and a concept that is constantly connected to something else. Um, And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you started to see this sort of concept within political thought in particular, because you start out talking about how we see, you know, how you sort of wrote this book in the context of the United States being involved in a number of wars and, um, and a variety of, of other violent um, situations around the globe. But you go back into ancient political theory as to some degree, one of the starting points. Um, can you talk a little bit about the concept itself and, and to some degree how you started to look into political theory as your guide to thinking about it? Yes. Uh, yeah, thank you. So the, the, when I, when I was noticing these kinds of, uh, 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 let's say, uh, political questions, uh, uh, these global political questions, uh, I was also reading, uh, I was reading Plato. Uh, <laughs> I was reading. <laughs> As one does. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was reading uh, at that point, uh, uh, the laws and uh, really fell in love with, uh, uh, fell in love with the text. I was reading uh, Carl Schmidt. I was reading Hobbes, Kant, Sayyid Qutub and a couple of other people. And um, in part, I, it was there was this uh, disconnect or this uh, dissonance almost between how uh, the language of peace uh, seemed to uh, sort of our intuitions you could say in uh, I don't know if it's uh, in political theory or uh, in modernity writ large or something but uh, a general intuitions about peace uh, uh, seems to be that it's a I mean uh, like I said earlier who who's against peace. I mean, there's a way of, uh, perhaps there's a chapter waiting to be written that's about the impossibility of uh, uh, being uh, uh, against peace or of uh, being uh, critical of peace. And what I found really fascinating as I was reading these uh, different thinkers is the extent to which they were uh, either actively theorizing or uh, 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 you could say uh, implicitly leaning on some 
constellation of peace and surrounding ideas. Uh, and this is one of the three big arguments that I make in the book, uh, that uh, peace is a parasitical concept. Uh, it uh, doesn't appear on its own. Uh, so uh, whether it's peace and friendship or peace and law or uh, uh, peace and uh, development, peace and order, peace and security, you have all of these different ways that uh, it's almost as though talking about peace on its own uh, at strikes, uh, speakers and, and theorists as uh, insufficient. And I became really curious about this insufficiency in the idea of uh, peace by people that are championing it, in a sense. Um, so I uh, started noticing how uh, in Plato, for example, you have uh, uh, the Athenian stranger uh, and Cleinias uh, 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 and Megalus, uh, these uh, three uh, interlocutors, they're... Uh, uh, talking about uh, peace and war and uh, whether there is any such thing that can be called peace. And at the end of the day, they say there is because of uh, fraternity and because of friendship. So they end up with the formula. You could say that uh, uh, we need to talk about peace and friendship and fraternity. When you look at uh, Hobbes, you end up with uh, something similar, like can peace really stand up on its own? And it turns out that when we talk about peace and security and peace and commerce and peace and order, we end up with a kind of peace that can. But these additives uh, or these things that uh, are uh, constellated uh, uh, repeatedly in relation to peace end up uh, not only, uh, they don't exactly support it, nor are they naturally associated with it. They end up simultaneously providing it with content, and it ends up sanitizing them so that we don't look at the ways in which these different concepts aren't uh, uh, always uh, so peaceful, uh, how in fact it's through the association of peace and uh, friendship, for example, in the laws that you end up with friends being those who eat together, but also those who go to war alongside one another against others. Uh, so these additives actually end up, uh, I think at one point in the book, I call them uh, uh, hinges. Uh, I usually call them, uh, I try coining this term, uh, insinuates, um, but uh, they're really hinges. Yeah, that I, I open saw up that and I was ends. wondering how to say it. Yeah, <laughs> at least that's, that's how I uh, try to, but uh, yeah. <laughs> And and that was one of the the fascinating points of of sort of the opening of your discussion of how how peace is it has to be connected um, because apparently it's very hard I think this is part of what you're talking about in the book it's very hard to conceptualize it without it being insinuated in relation to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wanted you to explain a little bit about that sort of concept of, as you say, you have the three sort of ways that you see it most commonly connected. Can you talk to those three um, sort of uh, conceptual frameworks that you're using in the, in the book and, and on then, you know, with regard to the authors that you're bringing in? in your evaluation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, thank you. So the, let me say something about, uh, uh, 
the idea of conceptualizing peace on its own, uh, because uh, uh, the oftentimes the debate surrounding a peace has uh, tended to take this kind of form of like, is peace uh, understood uh, uh, negatively uh, purely as the absence of something, whether it's the absence of war or the absence of structural forms of violence, or is it understood positively as being uh, peace and uh, all of these other sets of things, friendship, law, et cetera. And um, uh, part of what's actually interesting to me is how in the supposed negative understanding of peace that even there, there's a lot of content that is oftentimes uh, being uh, smuggled in. So uh, if Thomas Hobbes, uh, who I write about in uh, uh, one of the chapters uh, in uh, chapter five, um, alongside uh, Ibn Khaldun, um, so if Thomas Hobbes is often propped up as uh, the uh, theorist who uh, tries to give us an understanding of peace simultaneously as the most basic human desire, but also as uh, the uh, absence of uh, war, Part of what uh, I uh, try to show is how when we read him more closely, we see that uh, he's actually smuggling in all sorts of uh, different ideas, ideals, practices, and uh, assumptions about uh, humanity into uh, this notion of peace. Um, and that's the, uh, the argument that uh, peace is uh, a, uh, or that it functions parasitically, that it functions in relation to uh, these uh, other uh, concepts uh, that uh, I want us to look at more uh, critically. Uh, the second argument uh, that I make uh, by taking these uh, different uh, sets of thinkers uh, together is that uh, peace is a, a, a provincial idea. And what I mean by that is it's uh, uh, the dominant theorizations of peace across, uh, let's say, the canon and canon-adjacent work uh, has uh, tended to uh, uh, treat peace as a uh, universal uh, human uh, desire, as uh, one that uh, uh, aspires to capture the globe uh, within its discursive orbit, one that is fundamentally about uh, what it means to be human, and uh, one that uh, uh, presents certain kinds of entities, uh, whether it's the polis with Plato or uh, the modern state for uh, 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 modern thinkers uh, as uh, the, uh, the natural spaces and the natural agents for peace. And part of what uh, I try to show is how across all of these different thinkers, we actually should pay attention to the anxieties, the desires, the fears, the uh, asymmetries in how the globe is drawn or in uh, uh, the relationship of uh, different peoples to one another where they're actually placed in a kind of asymmetrical hierarchy. Um, so that's that's what I mean when I say the uh, uh, piece is embedded in uh, uh, provincial discursive structures and that it uh, functions uh, provincially. Uh, and finally, the third argument along these lines, uh, and I must apologize to readers for the uh, alliteration, uh, <laughs> is uh, the uh, piece functions uh, polemically. And I don't mean that in the more... Uh, 
uh, let's say, uh, a clear way that uh, someone can, um, uh, that, that peace can be, uh, a lot of people will say peace can be abused, it can be misused when someone says, oh, these enemies are against peace. Uh, but part of my argument is that the, the recurrence of that particular discursive form isn't actually an accident at all. The, the idealization of peace as something that comes to define particular uh, 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 groups of people, the ones who basically uh, uh, present themselves as being pro-peace in some way. Uh, the, uh, that along with that comes the idea that uh, certain groups are uh, against peace. And uh, that the idea of being against peace in this sense is actually cooked into the concept in that uh, either their political economy or their political form or their history or their religion or uh, uh, their uh, uh, relationship to uh, what it means to be human, uh, these are oftentimes uh, uh, placed by different theorists uh, as uh, the very architecture, in a way, of what it means to think about peace as an ideal. So some people are structurally, in a sense, uh, uh, placed outside of peace. Um, and in this sense, uh, the way that I put it in the book is... Uh, uh, peace uh, was uh, crafted as a weapon, and uh, it can be redeployed as a weapon against other enemies. And and w w the weaponization of peace seems something that's an odd idea in and of itself, but it's one that you're also sort of talking about within the initial conversation or the introduction into the, the book is you note that these days in contemporary in contemporary society, in the West in particular, certain groups are called upon to articulate a commitment to peace, whereas other groups are not so called. Um, and I assume that was also part of the impetus for starting to explore this concept. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and it's actually... Uh... It took so it takes a couple of different forms, uh, and uh, in the introduction, I try to uh, gesture uh, uh, towards them. Uh, so one is uh, right after nine eleven, there was this uh, discourse uh, that uh, I'm also writing on now for uh, a different project, writing on uh, more uh, directly. Uh, this discourse that Islam is a religion of peace, or that Islam means peace, and uh, it was an interesting discourse because. It's uh, one that uh, was presented as a kind of demand, right, where uh, Muslims who wanted to uh, speak in public, who wanted to appear in public, uh, they would uh, either uh, present this as a kind of uh, a speech tax, in a sense, uh, uh, something that they needed to say in order to be allowed to continue to speak and in order to indicate to others that uh, uh, they are in fact uh, human, uh, right? Uh, uh, not simply the uh, they are uh, good Muslims, but also that they are uh, uh, human. And uh, I think we see a similar kind of language in a series of other contexts. Uh, an obvious one is uh, again the question of uh, uh, Palestine, uh, uh, particularly the idea that. Uh, uh, Palestinians are not committed to peace, or the idea that uh, 
uh, certain uh, politicians uh, need to uh, uh, really show that they are devoted to peace. We see something similar, or we saw something similar uh, across uh, the uh, Arab Spring, uh, where uh, different uh, governments, but also different uh, newspapers, different journalists, were placing that demand upon uh, different protesters, uh, saying, uh, well, are you committed to peace or not? Uh, do you love peace? Um, and something similar in the U.S. in uh, uh, Ferguson and uh, the uh, ways that uh, uh, the public discourse uh, really did seem to frame the uh, question of uh, who's uh, uh, of who's protesting, why people protest, uh, in terms of uh, uh, this question of uh, being. Uh, uh, peaceful, of loving peace, and uh, uh, thereby smuggling in, I think, all sorts of uh, asymmetries uh, uh, and also all, all sorts of ways of masking uh, the uh, political stakes, the political structures. And I think part of what my book uh, wants to argue is masking the ways that these structures have a really deep conceptual history across the canon of uh, political theory. And that is, of course, my next question. Um, and and you do, you know, you do start off, of course, as many of us do, as you said, with Plato. Um, and 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 you start with the laws, which you know, again, a little bit of a swerve there. Um, but but you know, I started talking about the Athenian stranger, and I was brought back to graduate school. Um, and so, but but one of the components of your book that I found fascinating and enlightening was that you take the sort of a lot of the traditional Western canon around um, sort of the political structures and war and peace. I'm going to use the terms together um, from Plato and Hobbes um, and, uh, and so forth. But you also are integrating, as you say, sort of uh, canon adjacent um and in, in, in some places, perhaps more embedded in the canon than not, um, thinkers like Al-Farabi and so forth. And so I w- would love for you to talk about not only, you know, sort of how these thinkers are um, understanding the concepts, but also why these particular thinkers that you draw over 2000 years of political thought, Western and non-Western. Great. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I start with Plato and then I go to Al-Farabi and Aquinas and then to Erasmus and to Ibn Khaldun and Thomas Hobbes, Grotius and Gentili and Immanuel Kant and uh, Sayyid Qutb. Um, and the main, one of the main reasons that I go with, uh, these thinkers, uh, uh, is that each of them deploys or plays with, or even wrestles with, let's say, uh, the idea that war is for the sake of peace. So there's a kind of refrain, uh, a kind of, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, chorus may be uh, running through not just the book, but also I want to say the history of political thought, the uh, war uh, is for the sake of peace. And some of the thinkers that uh, uh, I uh, uh, treat uh, are uh, uh, more uh, critical of that idea than others. Uh, uh, and actually part of what's interesting is how uh, by the time that you get to uh, uh, Grotius, for example, uh, when uh, he says that war is for the sake of peace, he says it as a kind of commonplace, a kind of old piece of wisdom that we all know. And uh, what's interesting there is the extent to which you have people across uh, the uh, uh, these uh, uh, centuries, uh, people uh, uh, from Plato to uh, Kant and uh, Qutb, uh, uh citing one another. Uh, oftentimes uh, explicitly. So when I turn to Al-Farabi, I open with his citation through probably Galen of Plato's laws, the wars for the sake of peace. Uh, Aquinas does something similar, but through Aristotle's commentary on Plato's laws. And when you get to Erasmus, you have him saying, you have all these people saying that wars for the sake of peace, but uh, that's uh, ridiculous, that's impossible. And what we end up with him, of course, uh, at the end is war is indeed for the sake of peace. It just happens to be uh, the kind of war that uh, uh, he ends up uh, sanctioning, he, that he ends up uh, authorizing in his uh, texts. Um, when you uh, have Hobbes, uh, similarly, the one human desire that goes unchallenged is peace, and it turns out that war is for the sake of peace and security and order and yeah. Um, and I, so basically it's the repetition of the idea of the uh, wars for the sake of peace. It's the uh, citational quality of the uh, kind of like a thread actually ties these uh, different uh, thinkers uh, together uh, so that, um, that rather uh, than uh, uh, accepting, I think, the kinds of uh, periodizations uh, about uh, uh, ancient, modern, contemporary, or Western, non-Western, Western, uh, and Islamic. Um, it's uh, to see these kinds of divisions as ideological constructs, uh, first and foremost. Uh, they can be useful heuristically, uh, but uh, they have a particular history. So the very way the Al-Farabi, Ibn Khaldun, and Sayyid Qutb uh, are uh, hived off in a way as uh, uh, part of a separate canon or separate uh, canons. Um, uh, that ideological work is uh, part of what uh, the book uh, questions. Uh, so the, the subtitle is indeed Genealogies of a Violent Ideal in Western and Islamic Thought, um, but both the categories Western and Islamic are ones that I... Uh, am uh, attempting to not only push against and problematize, but also show that they are uh, uh, part and parcel of uh, different theorizations of war and peace uh, in terms of the provincial structures and in terms of the uh, polemical structures. And uh, I just want to say one uh, thing about uh, the choice for uh, Al-Farabi, Ibn Khaldun, and uh, Sayyid Qutb in uh, particular um, part of my interest in uh, the book, uh, I, I think at one point in the book, uh, I say uh, uh, this may strike some readers as a project in uh, comparative political theory, uh, be that as it may, it's a kind of project that's uh, 
uh, trying to be critical of uh, the terms of comparison uh, that uh, we use, uh, so rather than taking them uh, for granted. And when I uh, when I turn to Al Farabi Ibn Khaldun and Qutb, it's with the uh, I'm asking readers to be also cognizant of the ways that each of these thinkers has come to stand in for a particular uh, uh, figuration of uh, the Muslim, a, a particular a particular way of thinking of Islam in relation to uh, violence, uh, war, and uh, peace. Uh, so uh, the uh, and here, of course, I'm uh, simplifying uh, uh, a little bit, um, uh, but only a little bit. Uh, oftentimes, uh, Al-Farabi is uh, treated in political theory as a thinker who had to write in uh, secrets, uh, in uh, uh, one who had to write uh, esoterically and uh, in uh, riddles, uh, because uh, the uh, one version of uh, this claim uh, he had to do this uh, in order to protect himself, uh, because uh, Islam is uh, hostile to uh, critical thinking or something like that. Uh, Ibn Khaldun is often treated as uh, the uh, uh, genius philosopher and uh, historian who uh, went unrecognized during his time, and uh, you know it's only thanks to the labor of uh, uh, European. Uh, Orientalists that he was discovered something along those lines. Uh, someone who went unappreciated until uh, uh, the West or Europe uh, fixed that. And Sayyid Qutb has uh, largely his name has largely come to be synonymous with a certain kind of uh, Islamic violence, uh, a certain kind of Islamic terrorism, a certain kind of uh, uh, Islam as ideology. Uh, so whether it's ISIS or uh, Al-Qaeda, uh, his name is the one that people tend to invoke. So I picked these three deliberately to try to bring these figurations to the foreground, uh, how Al-Farabi, Ibn Khaldun, and Qutb are called upon in order to do this kind of uh, ideological uh, work that uh, uh, the book is uh, pushing against uh, uh, primarily by demonstrating, on the one hand, other ways of reading these uh, thinkers, uh, more critical ways of reading them, and uh, on the other hand, of showing that these figurations are part and parcel of uh, the uh, idea that uh, whether it's uh, democracies or uh, Europe or uh, uh, the West or uh, America, that these are ultimately uh, peace-loving and uh, uh, that they are the the spaces or the sites that uh, can help us think about peace as an aspiration. Uh, uh, and that's part of what I'm pushing against. There's uh, all these politics that are, uh, again, there's all these politics that are cooked into this. And the, the politics that are cooked into the sort of the entire discussion, I think also, um, I mean, I, I really, and, I'm intrigued by the way that you have brought into the conversation the Arabic thinkers, um, 
but also that they are part of the conversation. Um, and, and so it would be, it would be a, a sort of limited conversation without more thinkers involved in it, as you note, in part because all of these thinkers are citing each other with regard to these concepts um, across space and time. Uh, and so I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, the sort of integration into the sections of the book. You have, you know, you as you note, there's sort of groupings of thinkers um, that sort of trace a bit through the history of political thought. Um, but as you note, they're also the ones who have overtly talked about um, the the sort of idea of war for the sake of peace. Um, so can you talk about how you started to knit together um, these particular thinkers in these sort of groupings? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, I like the way the, you put it, the, there's a, there's a way the, each of the 10 thinkers, and there's a few more that are in the background uh, of uh, the book that I don't uh, treat directly or that aren't named in uh, the table of contents. Uh, um, uh, but each of these 10 thinkers in particular are uh, 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 not, they're, I don't want to say that they're part of a conversation uh, with uh, one another so much as they should be part of our conversations in thinking about the relationship of the history of political thought or contemporary political theory to theorizations of uh, uh, war, violence, and peace. Um, And part of the uh, structure of the book or part of the uh, architecture of uh, the chapters uh, is intended to uh, highlight how uh, we might uh, go about uh, uh, going beyond, in a way, the uh, uh, the notion of uh, 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 putting different thinkers, uh, 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 either sort of contrasting uh, different thinkers for uh, their uh, uh, different normative uh, value, or uh, 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 something that uh, also sometimes happens in uh, uh, political theory. Um, putting thinkers uh, so uh, uh, in making it seem as though when thinkers are in conversation with one another, that there is something uh, peaceful uh, in a way uh, about that. We're actually part of what I'm trying to recover are the, uh, the tensions, the antagonisms, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the histories of violence, uh, the lurk in uh, uh, the theorizations of uh, peace. Uh, so I start with uh, Plato in a way to take the discipline of political theory uh, uh, at its word uh, to say, uh, let us go to Plato's laws. Uh, one of the texts that uh, uh, was indeed cited time and time again, both in uh, uh, Arabic philosophical discourses and also in uh, uh, Latin and in uh, European languages. Um and uh, then from there uh, to uh, uh, two figures, who two thinkers, who uh, are uh, oftentimes uh, presented in a sense as the uh, Christian and Muslim heirs to a certain kind of uh, 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 Greek uh, world, and that's uh, Aquinas and uh, Al-Farabi. 
and uh, others who've uh, uh, thought of Al-Farabi and Aquinas together, uh, oftentimes there's a uh, 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 there's a way that uh, uh, the claim has uh, tended to be uh, more about their agreement with uh, one another or a kind of elevation to uh, 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 a sort of shared status, uh, which again, I think for, for me, there's something actually depoliticizing and uh, uh, it elides a lot of the uh, uh, histories of how these thinkers have been treated and why those histories matter for when we read them now. So part of what I try to do is actually uh, read Al-Farabi uh, against the grain and against himself, and then from there extract a series of uh, uh, critiques uh, of uh, um, how we should think about the idea of just war, uh, of which Aquinas is often presented as uh, one of the foremost uh, thinkers. Um, um, and oftentimes people try to uh, sort of slide Al-Farabi into some tradition of just war, even though he doesn't actually talk about just war. Um, so then to extract a series of critiques there that help us think uh, of the relationship of uh, just war to intentions. Why is it that intentions are uh, such a big part of the story as opposed to, uh, say, materiality or as opposed to the intentions that we don't want to admit to ourselves? Uh, in any case, uh, when I go to Erasmus uh, in the chapter after this, it's uh, I treat him on his own in large part because uh, he does have this reputation as being uh, the... Uh, proto-pacifist. In a way, Erasmus is, uh, uh, he's the, uh, he's what some colleagues might call like the hard case uh, for the book. Um, and uh, I try and to show that, by that even uh, the proto-pacifist. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, Erasmus is a uh, thinker who uh, uh, is often associated with uh, universal peace. Uh, he's someone who uh, uh, contemporary political theorists have uh, sometimes found themselves uh, turning to as a uh, uh, an inspiration and a, uh, uh, a, a space for solace in a way that perhaps uh, because he... Uh, uh, that perhaps he can help us think about uh, religious difference and uh, disagreement in a way that refuses uh, war. Because Erasmus was someone who has the reputation of having been critical of war under any circumstances, supposedly. And part of what I try to show is, uh, uh, I mean, he was really critical of some kinds of war, uh, but there are other kinds of uh, 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 wars some of which he doesn't want to call wars, others which he does uh, actually give the uh, language of war to, uh, that uh, he champions. And in a way, these aren't inconsistencies. They're not contradictions. Uh, part of my argument throughout the book and for each of these uh, different thinkers is that when they end up justifying or authorizing some kind of violence or some kind of war, this is actually internal to their thinking. It's actually consistent with their assumptions. Uh, there may be uh, ambiguities and ambivalences that are uh, built into their theories that uh, open up to uh, uh, both a kind of uh, ostensibly pacific imaginary and a more 
uh, uh, violent one, but that doesn't mean that we can just put the more uh, violent or uh, warlike one aside. We actually need to uh, take it uh, seriously. And and so you you have the sort of the foundational discussion early on, and you also structure the book in an interesting way with these kind of interludes, um, which I enjoyed. Uh, and and so I I was wondering if you could you know sort of talk about uh, the sort of moving you know again moving forward through history, um, the the sort of the next two sort of groupings but also why you sort of structured the book with these interludes. Yeah. No, the, honestly, I had so much fun writing the interludes. Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that uh, you enjoyed them. Uh, so the, in a way, writing a book that tries to go from Plato to Kant and Kotob, uh, uh, I mean, it's, uh, uh, uh it's partly a fool's errand. Uh, like I'm happy to uh, admit this. It's uh, the kind of breadth is uh, at times uh, it was very unwieldy. Um, and a part of what uh, I uh, uh, wanted to avoid in the book is uh, uh, the appearance of uh, seamlessness because it's not seamless. Uh, th- going from uh, the polis to the uh, 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 to the city uh, in Arabic and in Latin, uh, going from uh, Al-Farabi uh, all the way to Sayyid Qutb. Uh, there, not only are there centuries, not only are there geographies, but there are also uh, really important uh, uh, epistemic and uh, political shifts uh, that uh, should make us wary, I think, of uh, any kind of jump uh, like that. Um, so the interludes... Uh, I wanted them to be opportunities for me, for the reader, uh, to take a step back, but also to look at the conceptual architecture that I uh, that sort of animated uh, both the preceding chapters and the next chapters um, uh, from a kind of different vantage point, uh, from a different view. Uh, looking at a different aspect of it. And so uh, these were places where I wanted to say, hey, the idea of advising for peace, the idea of someone who's an advisor for peace, or the idea of friendship, the idea of uh, the neighbor, these are important in these other sets of ways, going from Plato to uh, Al-Farabi and Aquinas and uh, Erasmus. Uh, The idea of friendship continues with Erasmus. And then it kind of, I mean, it's really interesting. It kind of drops out of uh, theorizations of peace in the history of political thought. uh, And friendship kind of becomes depoliticized. I wanted to mark that. Um, uh, In the second interlude, uh, I do something similar as well, where part of what I want to say is, there are different threads, uh, maybe is a good way of putting it. There are different uh, threads woven through the tapestries of history that bind these different thinkers and their ideas together and uh, uh, through these additional layers in a way. So 
the figure of the pirate or the figure of the nomad, uh, the figure of uh, the uh, sovereign, uh, that um, these end up uh, doing different kinds of work, both in the writings of uh, the thinkers in the book and in the writings of other thinkers around them. Uh, Vittel is uh, someone that... uh, uh, I uh, mention uh, specifically as being import- important for uh, the uh, idea that certain states uh, come to be seen as pirates and therefore can be bombarded as pirates. Uh, and it's also to point to how uh, the uh, different historical episodes uh, around which some of these figurations and some of these concepts uh, crystallize are ones of uh, immense violence, but immense violence that was indeed in the name of peace. Uh, So I see these interludes as uh, 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 really as taking a step back and then showing the reader a series of other threads or a series of other entry points into how to think about the relationship of these thinkers to one another, these chapters to one another, and the relationship of peace to uh, different uh, structures of violence uh, as well. Um, so the, the chapters in, uh, let's say, the uh, second uh, half of the book, uh, we have uh, Grotius and Gentili, uh, two thinkers that are uh, fundamental to the idea that law and specifically international law uh, or how, let's say, the law of nations comes to be translated into uh, international law, how that is a force uh, for peace or a structure for thinking through peace, uh, when actually uh, part of my argument is uh, uh, the process of turning peace into a legal concept uh, hives off a series of other possibilities for thinking about peace, and it ends up treating war and peace as uh, these kinds of uh, juridical uh, ideas that can only ever be recognized or adjudicated uh, from the perspective of the law. So there's something actually uh, uh, almost like a kind of expropriation. There's something kind of uh, dispossessing about uh, the elevation of law there uh, with uh, Hobbes and uh, Ibn Khaldun, um, uh, I was interested in how we have these two thinkers uh, who are, at the end of the day, I want to say, theorists of of history, power, and what we might call the state, of how a state is founded, um, how the state is founded through a moment of might, oftentimes might that comes from the outside. Um, and yet they give us such a different view of uh, frontiers and uh, uh, from uh, part of what I argue in that chapter of settler colonialism and the relationship of peace to uh, the violence of uh, settler colonialism. And then in the last chapter, this is probably the uh, 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 th- this is sort of the, uh, the most uh, fun of the juxtapositions, uh, let's say, uh, where uh, I invite readers to uh, think about Immanuel Kant, the uh, philosopher of perpetual peace through a uh, Pacific uh, Federation, 
um, and uh, Sayyid Qutb, the uh, so-called uh, ideologue of uh, Islamist uh, terror, who also called for a, uh, a federation or uh, an Islamic bloc of uh, states, uh, as uh, actually um, uh, sharing a certain set of uh, political horizons, or let's say being constrained by a similar set of uh, uh, discursive and uh, political uh, horizons. Um, and then, very briefly in the epilogue, I try to extract some uh, possibilities, uh, some other ways of thinking about peace. Uh, and uh, I, I want to flag that uh, one of those uh, takes us back to the beginning of uh, our uh, conversation uh, today. Um, and it's uh, uh, the possibility of uh, thinking about peace on its own, uh, the possibility of uh, not treating peace as an ideal, but uh, rather uh, 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 treating it as a uh, political idea with uh, all that that entails. And, and I mean, that's really the biggest difficulty, I think, um, in reading through your analysis and your, your careful consideration of so many thinkers and so many perspectives that I, I concluded it's like, yeah, I don't think about it conceptually pretty much on its own. Um, and what what does it take to imagine that conceptually, um, which is very difficult um, in terms of being a theorist um, and in terms of also how does that how does that look and function in our contemporary political situations? Uh, you have you have been an amazing guide through um, unpacking the concept and how so many political theorists have, in fact, tried to get at it. Um, but you've also left me a little bit um, uh, anxious, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is fine. I mean, yeah, no, mission accomplished. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I, um... I think that one of the, so this is actually the nicest thing to hear that I've made you anxious. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, one of the aims of the book uh, is, I think, to really bring to the fore what you called, uh, uh, and uh, uh, what, what you just described as a kind of anxiety about uh, peace, uh, what um, uh, I would want to uh, uh, say is uh, about really remembering and uh, uh, or perhaps not even remembering but uh, uh, never forgetting which I think is uh, importantly uh, different uh, never forgetting that uh, 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 there is a disturbing way that uh, peace operates that appeals to peace operate that um, uh, both as a uh, idea and ideal, and also as a discursive artifact that uh, uh, we often hear uh, invoked and uh, appealed to uh, um, across uh, uh, political spectrums, across contexts, uh, and uh, 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 certainly uh, uh, this isn't exclusive to uh, uh, any particular uh, ideological uh, position, I think. Some are worse than others, but, uh, or some are more guilty than others, let's say. Um, 
But I think that this is where the one of the reasons that uh, I end the book uh, with uh, these uh, 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 three paragraphs, uh, one of each of which is about uh, these other ways of trying to think about peace. On the one hand, it's uh, it's a challenge, and I think it's a real challenge. Uh, whether we can train ourselves uh, to uh, uh, think about, uh, 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 to be critical whenever we hear someone say peace and development uh, or peace and justice or peace and order or peace and security, uh, to really look more closely at the work that peace there is being made to do vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the oftentimes unstated uh, forms of uh, violence, war, coercion, and hierarchy that are being uh, called upon. And in terms of uh, the sanitizing work the uh, piece is doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, these uh, other uh, ideas uh, surrounding it. Uh, uh, in terms of training ourselves to uh, be more concrete when we talk about peace, uh, to uh, 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 talk about the particular context, uh, uh, this piece or that piece, rather than piece in this kind of abstract, uh, uh, general uh, way that I think ends up uh, uh, serving uh, certain kinds of uh, political interests uh, over others. And uh, uh, similarly, um, uh, trying to uh, think about uh, how uh, uh, we oftentimes treat peace as uh, uh, being about agreement, being about uh, kind of coming together, uh, being uh, a certain kind of uh, harmony. Um, uh, but it's also to recognize that uh, uh, there's a there are certain situations that uh, uh, have violence that uh, we uh, uh, can come to think of as uh, peace. So in other words, it's to take peace down from being an ideal to being a uh, political idea diagnostically as well and how we think about uh, the world. Um, it's uh, to uh, understand that sometimes, and not always, obviously, uh, but sometimes rather than agreement, uh, uh, what's necessary uh, is uh, a responsible kind of uh, separation. Uh, sometimes uh, what's uh, necessary is uh, a certain kind of uh, silence. Uh, uh, the peace isn't always uh, through uh, uh, dialogue. And sometimes it's actually not peace uh, that we should be looking at. Sometimes it's uh, really... Uh, justice and it might have demands that are not at all peaceful and and i mean i think that's one of the 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 careful things that you do in this book is to take the concept peace and and you state this early on but i think you're very careful in the writing that peace the way you are are exploring it and and putting it into um, a rigorous analysis is a political concept as opposed to a moral one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important in terms of thinking about the concept on its own, mm -hmm. um, but also where we also want to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> And I think that's, it's one of the 
very careful things that you do throughout the book um, that made me, again, sort of think about what I'm trying to conceptualize with this word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. The, uh, in a way, the, the book is an invitation to think about peace, not as a moral ideal, uh, or at least not purely in the realm of morality. And I think that it is indeed the case that it's often treated purely in this way, sometimes cynically, um, uh, but uh, part of uh, my argument in the book is that it's not purely cynically, that there's something in the history of the concept that uh, has uh, invited people to, uh, has invited theorists, political actors, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, their readers uh, as well, to uh, th- conceptualize peace as though it's what defines the human, as though it is an absolute ideal, when part of what I'm asking readers to take seriously is the idea that peace is not outside of politics, meaning it is not outside of power, meaning it is not outside of the uh, 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 outside of questions surrounding violence, hierarchy, their justification, their sanitization, and the different uh, histories through which some are included and others are uh, excluded. Uh, and in which certain inclusions actually end up being uh, more violent than uh, certain uh, exclusions. So it's really to think about peace critically, the way that actually political theorists have tended to be happy to do with other ideas. And that's part of uh, what was surprising when I uh, I was uh, reading around in uh, contemporary political theory, the history of political thought, uh, we'd... uh, we in uh, political theory had uh, treated uh, all sorts of ideas, uh, uh, all sorts of ideals in uh, uh, this kind of critical fashion. Um, and yet peace seemed to be untroubled. Um, and it, it was interesting because uh, uh, it was almost as though uh, you're confronted with uh, uh, one of two things, uh, either uh, peace is a kind of uh, moral ideal, and uh, we just leave it that way. Or, uh, and I uh, mentioned this in the uh, introduction to the book uh, as well, you have uh, all these thinkers from Tacitus to the present, who in like one sentence or two sentences, uh, uh, Heidegger, I think, is the clearest uh, indication of this, uh, but in one sentence or two sentences, will say, hey, uh, there's something really strange about how people invoke peace and then they go to war. Huh. And then there's a kind of, in the book, I call it a kind of shrug. Uh, and uh, then we, they just kind of either move on or they say, well, but you know, that's a misuse. That's an, that's an abuse. That's uh, not really peace doing that work. So either you're left with peace as a uh, moral ideal or uh, you're left with it being a, uh, uh, re-entrenched uh, as a moral ideal because these other uh, ways of thinking uh, about it, these other ways of uh, using it, because it's actual moral, social, and political life ends up being treated as uh, epiphenomenal or peripheral to uh, its existence. And 
that was uh, surprising. Uh, and it's what I mean when I say the uh, piece is a troubling ideal, but it has uh, remained uh, untroubled. Yes, and, and that was one of the, the points that, that I was sort of surprised by, but then obviously made lots of sense as I read your work, was that it was, in fact, untroubled because people just shrugged and went on. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, they, and so they did. <laughs> yeah, no, um, Heidegger is, I think, the funniest on this one. Uh, he says, uh, uh, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say funny, it's Heidegger. Uh, uh, with a wink, uh, was it with a wink? The nations are informed that uh, 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 this coming war is going to be uh, the one that's uh, for uh, peace. Uh, then he says something is really out of joint here. Uh, how is peace going to be secured by the very thing that it's supposed to eliminate? I don't understand. Anyway, and I'm like, anyway. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So with that, Murad, what are you working on now? You sort of made a little passing reference to it. Ah, yes. Um, I'm working on uh, a uh, book that uh, picks up actually from where uh, this one ends. Uh, so it's uh, uh, the working title is uh, Islam Out of History, uh, Genealogies of Political Order and Linguistic Disorder. And uh, one of the chapters is a... Uh, uh, a genealogy, a different kind of genealogy than uh, the one in uh, this book, uh, a, a genealogy of how uh, peace comes to be identified with uh, Islam, or rather how the very meaning of the word Islam comes to be either peace or the opposite of peace. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in this project and thinking about the politics of language and uh, the kinds of ordinary tropes uh, that recur both in the history of political thought and also in contemporary discourses um, uh, uh, that turn Islam into a sub into a subject, into an agent, primarily in uh, a kind of liberal imaginary. So the idea that Islam is a religion of peace, the idea that Islam needs a Martin Luther. And uh, the idea that uh, Muslims need to understand uh, jihad in a purely spiritual manner, uh, trying to give the histories of these, but then also the uh, uh, the ways that they've been uh, productive for uh, the history of uh, uh, political thought in ways that uh, perhaps uh, we don't always uh, acknowledge. And uh, then the possibilities for thinking differently, uh, the uh, more uh, uh, critical terrain that uh, uh, these ways of thinking about uh, Islam and uh, 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 peace, reformation, and uh, uh, pacification, uh, how uh, uh, there's actually critical possibilities that uh, we need to take seriously. Will you come on the New Books and Political Science podcast and talk to me about it once it oh, comes I out? I would love to. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So today I was joined by Murad Idris, who is the author of War for Peace, Genealogies of a Violent Ideal in Western and Islamic Thought. This is published by Oxford University Press in 2019. And I assume it's available at the Oxford University Press website as well as other places. 
Yes, and thank, thank you, you for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Lily. This was a really uh, great conversation. Uh, thanks for doing this. My pleasure.